This is the Double Shift newsletter for November 2nd, and it's called Healing the Gendered Shame of Outsourcing. There's a taboo O word, sometimes spoken about among close friends, but rarely discussed openly in polite company. It's outsourcing. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Why is there so much secrecy and shame around paying people for tasks in the domestic sphere that we traditionally think of as women's work? As I think about why this is such a sensitive topic for women, I've noticed I never hear men even mention outsourcing. Have you ever heard a male CEO say that the secret to his success at taking his company public while having three small kids is outsourcing? Men don't need outsourcing because they have women. When women feel they must rely on outsourcing, it presupposes that the work was ours to begin with. To help me unpack some of the thorny issues of outsourcing of domestic and care work, I spoke to Dr. Katie Garner, the Executive Director of the International Association of Maternal Action and Scholarship. She says, I think with childcare, it's something that people talk openly about. I think with cleaning, it's less so, says Katie, who has also edited a book about mother-nanny relationships. Even though I think it's almost just understood that women of a certain work status and financial bracket are outsourcing domestic work, says Katie. Katie theorizes that the lack of transparency around this has to do with the strong American culture of self-sufficiency around motherhood. She says it discourages us from admitting that we get help and that we need help. No doubt there are huge variations in what families choose to and can afford to outsource. There is plenty of outsourcing that requires significant financial privilege, but I reject the idea that it is solely for the richies. If you live in a household where the adult or adults work for pay and you are not living on a self-sufficient farm and homeschooling your kids, you are very likely paying someone from outside of your household to complete some forms of domestic work, caregiving, and or maintenance. There are many types of outsourcing that are so normalized, we don't even label them as such, like snagging a fast food breakfast once a week when you're running late, or purchasing instead of making your own clothes, or going to the car wash. These are all services that could be done by individuals and are all examples of things that many wouldn't think twice about paying for. So if the reality of American society means we exist in capitalism and regularly buy all kinds of goods and services, why do so many people have strong feelings specifically about outsourcing domestic and care work? Why does this feel like a moral question and not a logistical one, like paying for an oil change? A lot of my work has been about how much labor is being done in these care relationships that's not quantifiable and therefore not reimbursed, says Katie Gardner. You become enmeshed in each other's lives in a way that would feel very awkward in typical waged work. With a nanny, they're caring for your kids, so a high level of trust has to be present. How do you economically compensate for that? Honestly, most families can't compensate for what most of us believe the job is truly worth. I really like how Tressie McMillan Cottom articulates her conflict on hiring domestic help in the recent episode of the New York Times podcast, The Argument. Tressie says, 
it's hard to live out your feminist practices and, and ideas. I wrestle with decisions like this all the time. Like, am I allowed to have a house cleaner? And is it feminist to have a woman who owns her own small business clean my house? Or would it be better to have a man clean it because he should be cleaning the house anyway? I mean, you know, then I wrestle with being a black woman. Do I actually get another woman of color to clean up after me? Like, what does that mean? And what does that look like? I hope I'm asking myself those questions so that I can move forward in life. I can go, okay, I tried to do the right thing here, right? And that's what was linked to something that I believe in collectively. Like, I believe all work is dignified. So, okay, then time to live it, right? Time to put it into practice. It, it doesn't always feel good, but I don't think that doing the right thing has to feel good all the time. This is very un-American of me to believe that, by the way. That was all a quote from Tressie McMillan Cotton. Another reason I think women feel judged for outsourcing care and domestic work is that we fear society views it as personally indulgent. As an example, I will share a vulnerable outsourcing story I don't talk about much that showcases plenty of financial privilege. When I found out we were having twins, we decided we wanted to prioritize hiring a night doula to handle overnight baby care during the early days. This is basically like a nanny, but at nighttime. Knowing that we were going to experience brutal newborn sleep disruption times two, plus caring for a preschooler. We paid for it with a combination of a tiny inheritance from my great aunt, some savings, and my parents chipping in. We also needed a bigger car as we were jumping from one to three kids. But we decided this overnight support was more worth it to us than a minivan with bells and whistles. As a result, we got a bottom-of-the-line used 2017 Chrysler Pacifica, its only real feature being a backup camera, and a night doula who took care of the twins when they alternated waking up every 30 minutes for weeks on end. It was 1,000% worth the money, and we now joke, sort of joke, sort of serious, that without that night doula, we would likely be dead or divorced. And yet, I have pangs that I will be judged for sharing this way more so than if we spent the money on a nicer car with automatic doors, captain seats, and a TV in the back. In America, paying for nice things seems normal. Paying for care seems decadent. There are plenty of people who can't afford much or any paid care or domestic outsourcing. But if those who can't afford it hide what we outsource, it perpetuates shame and denies the work itself dignity. Transparency about outsourcing also makes it easier to have nuanced conversations about how to do it ethically. So here's my list of questions and considerations for if and when you approach outsourcing care and domestic work. For more great resources on this topic, check out the National Domestic Workers Alliance guides, which I've linked to in the newsletter in the show notes. Okay, number one, here's my list. Knowing what a fair wage is for what you're asking for and paying it. I have had more than one occasion of encouraging someone to raise their rate or countered with more than they've asked for because I thought they were asking for below market rate. If you are prepared to pay more, I would rather pay a woman what she's worth than get a deal because she's devaluing her labor. Also, this fair wage comment is also includes in the newsletter an asterisk from Dr. Katie Garner, 
who says, who just wants to caveat this recommendation and you know this conversation with saying, she says, I know that there are many women, particularly single mothers, that are outsourcing childcare and will admit themselves that they know they are not paying a living wage because they themselves are not being paid a living wage. So obviously there is some nuance in this discussion of a fair wage and a living wage, but you know, let's just think about that all holistically. Okay, no, my number two recommendation is consider using individuals rather than services. When you do this, you know exactly how much the worker is getting paid for the work. While agencies and companies can do vetting and provide additional customer service and other kinds of support that can definitely be helpful, they can also be taking a substantial portion of your payment. So know that the deal that you may be getting from a big cleaning service could mean that they are only paying the actual cleaning crew cleaning your house minimum wage. My tip number three is to tip generously for holidays and for regular delivery services like Instacart. Number four is if you hire a nanny, use a nanny contract. This codifies expectations and treats the job as real work. Number five is remember how few protections and financial stability domestic workers have. Don't cancel at the last minute without pay and know that many aren't eligible for unemployment. And number six is eating at restaurants is outsourcing too. Think about the ethics of food service workers who take on the domestic work of cooking and dishes. Consider what the workers get paid at cheap chain restaurants, hint, it is often well below $15 an hour. Locally owned family-run places are a better bet and living wage certified places that pool service charges and share them with the entire staff, including the kitchen crew, are even better. Here in Durham, North Carolina, a lot more places are doing that now. These are complex considerations without easy answers, so we have to wrestle with that. As Tressie McMillan Cottom says, it doesn't always feel good, but I don't think doing the right thing has to feel good all the time. Of course, the biggest caveat to this conversation is that if men on the whole more equally shared domestic and caregiving responsibilities with their female partners, there would be less to outsource. But also, even if you have a two-partner household and are sharing equally, there is still objectively a lot of stuff to handle. There is no shame in getting help. And if you don't have the money to afford certain kinds of outsourcing, Katie Garner recommends radically lowering your standards, which is great advice for almost everyone on the domestic front. Please remember my essay, Your Messy House is Your Superpower. For tomorrow's members-only thread, I want to take this conversation in a lighter direction. So I want you all to tell me, Double Shift members, what is your outsourcing fantasy? Or fantasies, if you have many fantasies. From the mundane to all-encompassing, what do you fantasize about having to never do again? That will be in your inbox tomorrow. Okay, some recommendations. I have a new podcast binge alert. I just started listening to the show, This is Uncomfortable, from Marketplace. I love it. Every episode combines like great storytelling that you get from a podcast like Criminal or This is Love with bold and revealing conversations like you get from Death, Sex, and Money. So definitely add it to your player. They have a great back catalog that I'm enjoying. 
I am currently reading and enjoying the book Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. It's an engrossing memoir about a mother-daughter relationship, and it's really the kind of book you realize you are staying up way too late reading because you can't put it down. Also, in case you needed a reminder, it is less than one week till the election. I have already voted early. What is your voting plan? Be sure you have one. Thanks so much, as always, for being members of The Double Shift. I can't do this without you, and uh, enjoy the rest of your week.